0: Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of community services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon.
1: Well, Martin, I'm so glad that you could be here with me today. Uh, It's not that often that I have an opportunity to speak with somebody who's doing the kind of work that you're doing, which is really on the ground kind of work, even though you're not in a still nursing facility, but you certainly know what happens there because of the work that you're doing, right? So you want to talk a little bit about that so that listeners could have an idea what your work encompasses and the kind of relationships you have with your clients.
2: Sure. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, my firm practices in the area of n- nursing home neglect and abuse, actually all various kinds of institutional neglect and abuse. But today, I'd like to chat about nursing home uh, care. And as a result of 20 years of practicing in this area, uh, I've kind of developed an un- not only an understanding of the things that go wrong, but what can uh, a family member do to uh, attempt to have things go right? And so uh, I'm glad we have an opportunity to talk about that.
1: You know, I think it's uh, very interesting that you say that because most people probably don't think there's anything they can do for things to go right because they hear mostly about the things that go wrong. because that's like the, the, the end result, right? They're not hearing about the things in between, they're hearing about the end result. Um, so let's start though, you and I had a great conversation yesterday and we really, uh, I think it would be great to start before the person gets to the nursing home uh, because most people begin in a hospital setting because of some situation, a fall, a heart attack, a stroke, whatever it is, a change in cognitive status, mental status, and they wind up in a hospital setting. Uh, So let's talk about that first because you had some great information about what families can do um, at that point.
2: Certainly. Families don't get much notice when a loved one is discharged from a hospital. And they're usually a day or two before, if they're lucky, two days before. They get notification that we're going to be discharging your husband, your your wife, your family member. And you need to find a place for them. Uh, and uh, there are things you can do in terms of giving yourself a little bit more warning. And the first thing is you have to learn that hospitals have what's called a discharge planner. And their job is to facilitate the process of getting a patient out of the hospital. And um, first thing I would do is I would meet the discharge planner early, right after admission. And I would let the discharge planner know who you are and uh, give them the opportunity to share with you as soon as they know an anticipated date of discharge. And uh, this way you'll have a little bit more time, a little bit more time to, to do your homework in terms of finding uh, uh, a location for your loved one post-discharge from, from the hospital. And you should also have a conversation with your uh, spouse of your, your child's um, physician because the physician that uh, admitted the patient to the hospital has some uh, ability to make a determination as to whether or not it's appropriate to discharge the patient at a particular time. And so if you believe that your loved one is not appropriate for discharge, share that with the physician and that may get you some more time uh, in order to then find a good location for uh, placement. So those are the things that I think are uh, things that we have somewhat in our control.
1: So I, I agree with you uh, 500% about everything you said, obviously, because we, we both know about the, how this system works and it is a system, right? I tell people, um, and tell me what you think about this. I tell people they should plan by choice, not by crisis. So that if you have an older parent or loved one that has some issues, now it, you might not recognize them, but it's, it's important to look critically. So if they have even high blood pressure or maybe the beginning stages of Parkinson's or whatever it is, or some beginning stages of dementia, that this would be a good time to have a conversation about in case something happens and you have to go to, let's say, a nursing home for a short period of time, assuming a short period for rehabilitation. Are there any places that you know of? Let's look at a few places and become informed about the information we need and the questions we need to ask. Because as you said, once you go to the hospital, they might tell you, even within a couple of days, it happened to people that I know, uh, gee, your loved one is, we're, we're transferring them within a couple of days. And that's, you can't make a decision at that point, right? You can't plan when you're in a crisis, you're already worried about your loved one and probably stressed out and overwhelmed. So what do you think about that for advice?
2: Oh, I think that I think that's excellent advice. You know, there are things that we can't control, but there are certain things that we have some semblance of control. And it's important that we uh, do some advanced planning. So you're you're absolutely right. Yes. And
1: and I think it's um, another point worth noting about premature discharges, because most people listening probably know that hospitals try and try and ship you out as soon as they can nowadays, right? It's an insurance issue, but they should know that if you are prematurely discharged to a nursing home, the, the hospital can get penalized if the person is readmitted to the hospital within 30 days. Isn't that correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. That's, that's true. So it's a balance. They, right. they, they wanna make room for a new patient, uh, but uh, obviously they're not gonna transfer someone who is not stable. So it's a balance.
1: Right. So, okay. So now we've, they found the place, let's say, and they've worked with the discharge planner, hopefully. Uh, It doesn't always work out that way, but let's say, and I I always tell people, listen, these are, these are good people for the most part, well-intentioned but they may have relationships also that are in a business interest that might not a hundred percent be aligned with your loved one. That's why it's so important to get the information beforehand and be aware and not just accept what people tell you. Like Correct. You yes. this place. anyway, so now let's transition to the nursing home part because that's a whole separate animal, right?
2: It is. It is. And and the first few days of admission to a nursing home, uh are critical in terms of preparation. Um, the transition is is important. You have to be involved. It takes work. It takes work. It takes a family member who is not only dedicated but willing to to work at trying to get the best possible care. And one of the difficulties, especially if a patient is uh, admitted on a weekend, is that the uh, nursing staff may not be up to par in terms of the numbers of nurses. They may not do the preparation necessary to to get that transition smooth uh, for the patient. So the family member can do a few things. The family member can first get the discharge summary from the hospital get the medical information from the hospital. They'll give you the records. Get as many records as you can. And if you can't get many, at least get the discharge summary and bring that with you to the nursing home so that they have a piece of information that will have some history about the patient. Also get the the medication schedule from, from the hospital. You have to know what medications your loved one is taking. And that information is important because you wanna make sure that when the nursing home starts pr- starts uh, administering medication, they're administering the proper medication in the proper dosages. And you need to review that with the admissions nurse. It's always important to be there when the admissions nurse does the uh, admission assessment. This is where the nurse comes in and learns a little bit about your loved one. And the important thing is, you know your loved one much better than the nurse will know your loved one. So you have to share information about likes, about, this, this, about dislikes, uh, about is your loved one a slow eater? Does it require more time for the uh, uh, nursing staff or the aides to, to provide food and to wait to make sure that the, your loved one eats the food? Because you know, when they deliver food, they may not uh, take the time necessary they, uh, to make sure the, that the patient eats, and they may come and take the food away before the patient is finished. So you need to be able to explain, well no, my, my dad needs more time, He eats slowly, And that's an important piece of information. Also, if, if there is any limitations, physical or functional limitations, is your loved one uh, hard of hearing? Does your loved one have dentures? This kind of information is important to convey because it helps them understand the patient, and that's the most important thing. And then, uh, for example, uh, in terms of the patient's gait, does the loved one, does their loved one require uh, assistance with walking? Uh, do they uh, do they shuffle? Do they uh, do they use a cane? These these things are important, and they may be missed. So it uh, it's important that. That information is shared with the nurse so that she can document it and then pass that information on uh, to the people who will be actually caring for your spouse, assume it's a spouse.
1: You know, I, uh, it's, you know, of course, w- in our conversation yesterday, we said we could share stories from here to Kingdom Come, right, about about the pitfalls, things that go wrong. Uh, of course, there are situations where things that go right, but um it just reminded me something you said, which is about being present when they do the assessment on your loved one, which sometimes it's not possible depending on when they do it with the time of day, when your loved one was admitted. But um, when you talk about hospital records and transfer of information, uh, I have found working in the trenches that that information isn't always accurate. So I would be uh, would advise people to really take good notes to know what was for your loved one before they're discharged because the person who creates the discharge um, document they may not have all the most up-to-date information. I mean, I've seen this over and over and over again. And when you say about being present when they do an assessment, I mean, I've been in situations where uh, a person receives food and the the daughter or whoever, right? Uh, adult child, sometimes it's a, it's a, a son, says, oh, listen, uh, my mother's been diabetic for years. And um, I had this happen recently, a few months ago. And um, she's been on a low salt diet and the woman sitting there saying she got the Danish in the morning and bacon. And of course she ate it because she hadn't had it in years. And it turns out that the hospital didn't provide that information. So it's very important for people to be vigilant and involved. As you say, I think people have this impression that once the person is transferred to, to like a nursing home, which is a many traditional nursing homes are like many hospital-like environments, that there are people there who will take care of them. They're medical people and they don't have to do much else. But we, you and I know otherwise, right?
2: Absolutely. And, and, and the family should learn who the various players are, what roles they play in the nursing home. Uh, you know, what does the director of nursing do? You should meet the director of nursing if possible. Meet the supervising nurses. Uh, introduce yourself. Uh, so they know who you are and you know who they are in case you need to get in touch with them. Uh, find out, for example, every nursing home has a dietitian. That's a very important aspect of the care that a patient receives in the nursing home. Meet with the dietitian. You have an opportunity to meet with the dietitian. Explain the dietary needs from your perspective and then seek the dietitian's input so that both of you can arrive uh, a, uh, a diet uh, that provides your loved one with not only adequate nutrition, but likes and dislikes. And that, that's the function of a dietitian. You have a right to meet with them. Uh, and, um, and the chain of command is there are nurses, there are supervising nurses, there is a medical director that is in charge of all the medical care at, at the nursing home. Uh, and meet the physician who will be caring for your loved one. Um, you've got you've got to be uh, assertive, pleasant, but assertive, okay. uh, because because um, uh, the, the staff at a nursing home will recognize you as someone who's interested. And that's very important.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I always uh, tell this story when you say about pleasant. <laughs> I'm laughing. It's not really funny. I'm talking about my own family here. <laughs> Because I say that if I'm ever in a, a living situation like that, and it's a traditional nursing home, let's hope not. But let's say, um, you know, they'll say when my daughter comes along, they'll say, oh, my gosh, please get rid of this patient so that we don't have to deal with her. And she laughs when I say it. I, she, she would be an incredible advocate, but she she wouldn't start out probably in the most pleasant way I'm thinking. Well, maybe she'd start out that way, but it probably would descend quickly. <laughs> and they, I would probably be in like 10 nursing homes in like a year because they'd be like, please get rid of this one. You
2: know? <laughs> no, and, and you have to be aware there's, a, there's an interpersonal relationship uh, that, and sometimes it's una- you're unable to establish that interpersonal relationship, but if you can, it's a real asset.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And I am, I, um, you know, being in many nursing homes uh, as a speech and language pathologist, um, the staff appreciates, by the way, when you come and bring them maybe a little basket of fruit or, um, you, you know, you want to don't want to think of it as a bribe really, but you want to let them know that you're, you're working with them as a team, right? That you understand they work hard and uh, they don't always get the best appreciation, you know, from the top down. So it's nice if you can show them some appreciation. I mean, people bring cookies, people bring fruits, people bring pizzas or whatever, but wouldn't you say that that's an important ingredient to show them that you're also working with them as a team, that you want to work with them?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Another thing you should be aware of is, is that you should rely on your instincts about how your, um, your patient, the patient is getting along. Um, If you, if you believe something is askew, something is not right, then follow that thought because that's very important and, and communicate with the people who care for the patient to make sure that your concern is addressed. I mean, um, usually when, when patients decline in, an, in a nursing home, it's a gradual decline. And, and sometimes it's it's not even perceptible to, to, the, to even, even a, a close relative. But if something happens more dramatically, if you see a change in condition that is not gradual, you know, then that is something that should be followed up, followed up with the, not only the nursing, followed up with the physician and have a Face to face conversation, and uh, that brings me to the topic of um, care planning.
1: Aha! Uh-huh. So listen you- before we get into that, because that's a that's a large topic. And I wanted to talk about that also, and um, and admission agreements, right? Because I think that's an also important topic. But um, you just said something I just wanted to touch up on before we go to break, which is when you talk about the medical director and the doctor, that a lot of nursing homes now, most of the day-to-day care is provided by nurse practitioners.
2: Yes, and we see more more and more of that. Um, So I, I think part of the problem is a nurse practitioner is not a physician. And you need to understand that there is a difference, obviously a difference in training, a difference in experience. Uh, And medicine is moving more and more to have nurses who have advanced training actually practice medicine. Uh, Now, that may be good under certain circumstances, but once again, you have a right to speak to the patient's physician. And uh, I would have that channel of communication open. So that if communication between the nurse practitioner and the physician isn't as good as it should be, then it the family has to be the the uh, go between between the nurse practitioner and and, and the physician. So uh, it it's important it's important then that the doctor be aware of your uh, your loved one's condition and the kind of uh, Issues that come up. So don't just rely on the nurse practitioner if uh, your loved one is assigned only a nurse practitioner, because there is a physician at the facility and a a medical director that has supervisory responsibility with respect to all the health care provided at a nursing home.
1: Yeah, well, I just wanted to say about that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I don't think anybody would probably take issue with it. I'm not saying that you want to necessarily address that. But everything is a business and um, it's become a business. And that's why there are more nurse practitioners, because there's a way, you know, that it's uh, the doctor doesn't have to be there all the time. The nurse practitioner is paid to kind of be the eyes and ears on the ground. And I know many doctors, and this is kind of their business model, right? So they oversee care in many buildings. They go there maybe once a month um, for what they call the monthly renewals, right? When uh, orders have to be renewed, or if uh, something uh, more major happens, but uh, most of the day-to-day care is, um, is done by a nurse practitioner. The doctor has to sign off on what the nurse practitioner does. And it's not like the nurse practitioner isn't uh, re- responsible to talk to the doctor and convey the you know, information. But the doctor really relies on the nurse practitioner a lot. And I'm sure you and I have both seen the positives and negatives of that. But people should understand, just like you said, a nurse practitioner is not a doctor. And there's nothing, you know, that stops you from saying, I need to speak with the physician.
2: Right. And not all nursing information gets communicated to either the nurse practitioner or the physician. And it once again, it requires work, it requires effort, but the family member has to be involved in that, that kind of communication um, because it's important for the physician to know what's going on with the patient and they rely on nurse practitioners who do a good job but once again not physicians.
1: Right, absolutely. So on that uh, on that note we're going to take a short break on senior straight talk we'll be right back with Martin Solomon who has such tremendous experience and insights about for families about nursing homes. So we'll be right back on senior straight talk.
0: Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at SeniorStraightTalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk.
1: Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with Martin Solomon and we're having a phenomenally vibrant and dynamic conversation about, about nursing homes and nursing home care and the importance of families having the information and be knowledgeable and advocates once a loved one is transferred into a nursing home environment. Um, so I mentioned before the break, Martin, that I really want you to talk about these admission agreements because people really don't know what they are. They don't think they have any rights. They have to sign it. They feel like they are, um, I always tell people that they feel like they're a captive audience, you know, they need a place for their loved one to go for care even if it's short term. But I tell people it's a business and every business needs customers and you are really in the driver's seat. Um, I think people are afraid sometimes. So I'd love to hear from you about what you would tell people about admission agreements.
2: Well, the, the mo- I think the most important thing is most of the admission agreements you have really no leeway to to address. But there's one thing that is placed in an admission agreement because it benefits the nursing home to the detriment of the patient and the patient's family. And that is an arbitration agreement, an agreement to arbitrate any dispute. Hopefully, you'll have no disputes. Hopefully, the care will be as you've expected it and your loved one will, will fare well. But if there is negligence if there is misconduct on behalf of the nursing home staff and your loved one is injured, signing an admission agreement, agreeing to arbitrate rather than to utilize the court system is a disadvantage. So what can you do? You look for the words arbitration, arbitration agreement, and you, it's in the admission agreement. And I would cross that out. Do not agree to arbitrate any dispute that occurs between the nursing home and the family, very, very important. Scratch it out, initial it, get a copy of it for yourself. And uh, that in, in my mind is uh, protection for an untoward event. And um, it's, it's important that you don't give up the right to use the court system uh, in favor of a process that put places the nursing home at a superior advantage.
1: Right. So when people uh, receive an uh, admission agreement, right, they sit down with the admissions person. Usually it's an admissions person. There is a person in a nursing home that has that role. Um, do they, uh, for the most part, do you think explain that to them? I think they're a, a I know in New Jersey, I think they have to initial uh, that they agree to the arbitration agreement uh, clause. But do you think they explain to them exactly what that is?
2: No, I don't. Not only don't I. Not only don't they explain to them. I don't believe the people charged with uh, obtaining a signature on an admission agreement even understand the nuance of arbitration versus utilizing the judicial system, and they're there to get your signature on the document. And even though it says, I have explained this, the reality is, as I have mentioned, I don't believe they even understand the nuance of uh, arbitration versus utilizing the judicial system. So for your own benefit, strike that out. The rest of the agreement, you really have very little, if any, control over uh, but that's an important element.
1: Okay. So that's great advice. Uh, so now going from the admission agreement, right. And your loved one is there. And, um, you know, there, there are many issues associated with nursing homes. Most people probably are aware of them. There are commercials on television, right? Most people know about, um, short staffing because that's been in the news, especially in the last couple of years with COVID and, um, what that means, um, I like to remind people uh, that uh, according to the federal guidelines, that really a nursing home is only required to have an RN on duty eight hours a day, five days a week. And of course there's a move that really should be seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And there is some movement in that direction. Uh, it hasn't gotten there yet. Um, so, I always tell people that when they go to a nursing home, they should ask those questions. Like, how many hours a day is a registered nurse on duty? Especially if you have a loved one that has, you know, uh, but this happened recently to a friend of mine, you know, had a couple of heart attacks, had, um, you know, somebody with Parkinson's, somebody, you know, with a feeding tube, somebody with a, a trach tube, you know, a, um, a tube in their neck so they can breathe. Um, you know, if something happens during hours when there isn't an RN on duty, uh, that's not a great situation for your loved one. So that would be an important question to ask, wouldn't you say? Uh,
2: Yes. And and, uh, understanding there are differences in nurses. Most of the heavy lifting done in a nursing home are done by nurses' aides. And those are the individuals with the least training, but have to do most of the hard work. The the uh, aiding in terms of uh, ambulation, um, changing uh, 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 linens, uh, addressing issues of incontinence—they're the ones that do that. Then there are the uh, the uh, licensed practical nurses, and they are—they serve a nursing function. But the difference between an an RN and an LPN is the ability to analyze the uh, symptoms and come up with a nursing diagnosis. And that's very important because they will, they have the, more training, they'll have the ability to evaluate various conditions and make suggestions to the physician. Whereas an LPN may or may not pick up something, an RN should be able to.
1: So based on what you just said, and I know this also from personal experience. Make sure when your loved one is transferred to the nursing home, the person doing the initial assessment is a registered nurse, because an LPN or a licensed practical nurse is really not supposed to do an initial assessment. Isn't that correct?
2: Correct. So, and and so the uh, the admitting nurse will most likely be a an RN. So that's where that's where you uh, by giving that individual information about your loved one, they'll be able to start uh, addressing some of the concerns that you have, but also it'll help them evaluate the patient in in a much more detailed way to draw some conclusions.
1: Yeah, so that's great information for them. Now, another thing um, about um, that I would say is important for anyone who has a, a loved one in a nursing home is to understand about um, care plans, um, how to read a chart, uh, the important information that should be in a chart, what a care plan meeting is, who should be at a care plan meeting. You want to address some of that?
2: Certainly, certainly. Well, there there are a couple. Let's talk about the, the chart. First of all, uh, a family member has the right to review the chart. That's part of the rights given to every uh, family member through federal legislation, any nursing home that receives federal dollars uh, will have this regulation force. So you can, you can look at the chart. And there are certain parts of the chart that are important. One is the medication administration record. And that will list the medications that your loved one gets, that will list when they got the medication and the, and the amount of medication. That's important because you want to make sure that you know the medication's the patient should be getting and in what dosages, and you can check to make sure it's been given. So, and that that's contained in what's called the medication administration record. Then then there is the uh, dietary flow sheets, which will indicate the percentage on a daily basis of each meal and any snacks given to your loved one. So, if you look at the dietary flow sheets, you'll see, well, that. Did, did the patient eat a complete meal? Did they eat 100% of the meal? Did they eat 50% of the meal? Did they miss a meal? That information will be available so that you can evaluate, well, why isn't mom or dad or whoever eating properly? And you can take that up with the dietitian, take that up with the nurse. But you actually are able to read that in, in the uh, flow chart. Uh, and the other thing is nurse's notes, They'll, they'll nurse's notes will make comments about what, what they have observed during the various shifts and uh, any medication that's given uh, and communication with the physician, that should all be in the nurse's notes. And you have a right to look at those nurse's notes. They're not always legible, but you can <laughs> ask a nurse on duty to read that nurse's note for you so that you can understand uh, what, what that. Nurse as illegible nurse writing means uh, in relation to the welfare of, of, of the patient. Now, in terms of care planning, the uh, federal government regulates what goes on in a nursing home they, they, through various statutes and regulations. And those regulations are oriented to the patient and to the patient's family, they are designed to protect the patient. They're not always followed by the nursing home, uh, but they are designed for the benefit of the patient. One of the principal things that are important and that are contained in those regulation is care planning. And care planning is part of the system with, of interdisciplinary care, which means there are a number of individuals in a nursing home caring for the patient. They are supposed to get together. There's the, the, uh, the dietary... There's the activities individual. There are the nurses, the physician, the nurse practitioner. There are therapies if your loved one is getting physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. All those therapies uh, should also be at this care planning meeting. And what goes on at the meeting should go on at the meeting. And you have a right to be there, by the way. And so you let the nurse know early on you want to be uh, available to participate in the care plan meeting. And what happens at that meeting is each discipline, after they've examined the patient and looked through the records, will have an opinion as to how their piece of the puzzle fits into the proper care of of your loved one. So you'll hear all the various opinions and then you'll have an opinion as well. And from those discussions, a plan is created as how to take care of your loved one, what each discipline must do and when they must do it. So you and you can get a copy of the of the care plan and it'll explain well. dietary says that uh, we need to increase the amount of protein in the diet. And and then that instruction is given to the to the cooking staff, to the the kitchen staff, and they then they adjust the the diet to meet the dietitial needs of the patient. And same thing with therapies. Well, we need uh, two hours. Uh, of therapy uh, a week, uh, three days a week or two days a week. That information will be discussed. And what happens then is unless there's a change of condition, and if there is a change in the patient's condition, that care plan meeting has to happen right away. Mm-hmm. But if there is no care, no change of condition, then every so often, whether it's every six weeks, eight weeks, 15 weeks, uh, the care plan meeting has to occur again and the discussion has to occur again. And everyone says, well, how did the patient do? Tell me dietary. How did the patient do? Uh, How did the uh, therapies go? So they evaluate whether or not their plan for the patient was successful. And if it wasn't successful, it has to be modified to make it successful. So the care plan meetings are very important. And and, uh, if nothing else, that's where the, Uh, family should attend those meetings don't get out of that
1: and i would add if you live a distance from the place where your loved one is and you can't Mm -hmm. make it there you can be available by phone Um, i've I've participated in many many meetings where they we called a family member to participate um something i want to add about that is you know everybody's trying to streamline everything nowadays and do things quickly um this has happened many, many, many times. First of all, there, there, are, there are quarterlies so that when you, a loved one is in a building for a period of time, and it could be for a variety of reasons, it doesn't necessarily have to be for long-term care, that really there's a quarterly assessment done. So it's, court, it's on admission, it's quarterly, and then annually. And I have seen, unfortunately, more often than not, They'll say, well, this person's not available, that person's not available. So there's one person at the care plan meeting with a family member, and that's really unacceptable. And there's, there's no reason that a family can't say, you know, something, uh, let's reschedule for when everybody could be at this meeting because it's my right to, to be in a meeting where everybody is rep- represented. Well,
2: the care plan must be an interdisciplinary care plan, which means all the disciplines responsible for. The patient should be there, so you're correct. You insist that all the parties be there, and the uh, the care plan has to be individualized for the patient, which means they can't just say, "Well, we'll continue to do what we did before." <laughs> they have to. They I have to done that. Spell, out, <laughs> spell out what needs to be done. Uh, rem- remember the short cur- short cuts do not help the patient uh, and they do not help the patient's family. And in the long run, they don't help the nursing home either.
1: Of course, they don't see it that way because uh, you know it's more expedient at that moment in time. But- From a
2: litigation perspective, uh, I get all the documents right. that uh, <laughs> transpire in, in a nursing home and those shortcuts come back to bite the nursing home where they don't want to be bitten.
1: Uh, I I would assume so. Not only that, um, I have encountered some situations because people, I don't think understand uh, what their rights are, where a chart is concerned or a care plan. So even if it's not like a significant change in condition, right? And uh, a significant change uh, is, I'll say triggered, or when they uh, say the person has a significant change, it's because it's Changes in two, two areas, has to be changes in two areas, right? A significant change in whether it's walking, ambulation, or eating, or mood, or whatever that is. Um, but um, if there's an event that happens, um, you should tell them, I want to make sure that there's a note written about this in my loved one's chart.
2: Absolutely. And,
1: and as you say, have them read it to you. Uh, don't have to say, oh, we'll put a note in the chart. No, I want to hear what the note says or read what the note says. I want to make sure that it accurately represents the situation because like you say, you may need that information down the line.
2: Right. And also what I think is important is even though the nursing home has uh, to comply with regulations, which, for example, uh, a change of condition requires two elements of, of change, that doesn't mean you can't say to the to the nursing home, I want to have a care plan meeting because I see this going on. So you have you have the ability to initiate those meetings. And I think that's important as opposed to necessarily leaving it to the devices of the staff that may want to take shortcuts, but you don't want to take a shortcut when it comes to your loved one.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, and it could be anything. Like, well, usually a, a care plan meeting or a significant change is triggered if a person loses a lot of weight. Um, um, but you know, I would tell people, and you know, to be very mindful of that because it goes back to what you said about they have to write how much your loved one ate when they ate. And um, but let's let's be honest. Well, most people, you know, are caring and, and do the best they can. People are under a lot of pressure in nursing homes, especially now that they're short staffed. I mean, like I said, people have heard about this more since COVID, and you could probably address this uh, because of what you experience in in the work you do. But, um, you know, I mean, I've seen it countless times, and they just write, oh, the person ate. Or they'll write, oh, the person didn't eat. Um, And the reality is, the tray was in front of the person, they were sleeping, but they were short staffed, and they didn't have anybody to help feed the person. And so they just remove the tray or they'll say the person ate or whatever. I mean, it could go a variety of ways. So how would you tell people to proceed as far as that kind of information?
2: Well, uh, there is a correlation between weight and how much your patient has eaten. And if there's a change of weight, you should be aware of the various weights and it wouldn't be hurt. It wouldn't hurt to be there when they weigh your, your family member. And if they've lost weight and you see that the, the chart says they're eating hundred percent, that doesn't, that doesn't add up. So, so it's important. There is that correlation. So just be aware of that. And, uh, and you have input as ter- in terms of, if you see that the patient is only eating 50% and you know, your patient has a great appetite Okay, then that doesn't make sense. It has to make common sense based upon your experience.
1: Right. I would agree with you. So, I, I mean, Martin, you are so knowledgeable about this. I did want to ask you, um, your firm is located in Arizona, correct? In, in Phoenix. In Phoenix. But yeah. do you have people in your firm that are licensed in other states in the country?
2: Uh, I that do. The
1: same kind of thing?
2: Yeah, I have, we, there's a lawyer who's licensed in California and New York, but uh, it, in terms of taking cases out of state, they have to be exceptional cases because that requires a, a, a whole other level of involvement. Um, so we, we like to have cases within the borders of Arizona, or if not, then in an adjoining
1: state. So if people wanted to, because you're so knowledgeable and you have a great way of explaining this so simply, um, I think it's easy for people to understand. And people in this situation are overwhelmed, right? They're either they've lost a loved one or they're in a situation where their loved one has experienced significant harm. And sometimes it's great to be able to talk with somebody who can explain things very clearly, um, is there a way that people could reach out to you or someone in your firm, even if they wanted to ask questions or do you have any helpful information that you, that you can offer to people?
2: Sure. Uh, I think the thing to do is to, uh, we have, we have a, a website that we use and it's nursinghomeadvocates.com. And there is a, uh, a place to communicate Uh, via email, and that comes into an individual who's specifically trained to address various issues that occur. Um, So that would be, in my mind, that would be the best way of uh, contacting our firm, nursinghomeadvocates.com.
1: That's great. And, um, you know, you said something that just made me think. So let's say they, they email and they get information and then they have to seek an attorney in another state. Um, So I wasn't aware of this until you just said it. Are there attorneys that deal with nursing home abuse, but specific areas? So is there somebody, let's say, that specializes more that has to do with um, abuse as opposed to uh, things like um, uh, financial harm and abuse? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, right. I'm a member of the American Association for Justice, and they have a division that deals with specifically nursing home neglect and abuse. And uh, there is a uh, uh, a list of attorneys throughout the country that address these particular issues. And if and if you need, you're in a state that uh, uh, not in Arizona, and you want to know a recommendation to. Um, a law firm in your area—that uh, should be a question you pose to our staff, and uh, we'll do our best to find uh, either one law firm or several law firms in your area.
1: So that's great, and I—I I was just thinking as you were speaking. You know, Arizona's be kind of become a an, another state haven for people who want to um, spend their years as they get older, mainly because of the weather, you know, Florida used to be one, Arizona is another. Uh, Do you, do you think, or I don't know if you track this on a nationwide basis, I mean, there are over 15,000 nursing homes in the country. Do you think there are the incidents of abuse or neglect or the situations that go along with that, that people have in nursing homes are greater in states where that have become havens for people who are that are destinations for people in their older years
2: unfortunately, I think that because nursing home care is a business and the largest variable expense in a nursing home is labor, and nursing homes are compensated based upon the level of acuity. The sicker they are, the more they get and uh, and if they want to save. Dollars, they can't make the building smaller. They still need lights and they still need water and, ele- and, and, and those expenses are fixed. Labor, nursing staff is where they cut back. So the, the point I'm attempting to make is that it, neglect and abuse is, is pervasive throughout the country. Uh, and if there are more nursing homes in one particular state, you would expect to see more neglect and abuse that doesn't mean you don't have the ability to minimize the chance of your loved one being neglected or abused and that's why you have to take an active role but it uh, is far too common today considering how uh, medicine is going the healthcare system
1: yeah no i agree i don't even call it the healthcare system i call it the medical care system because i don't think we're really doing a lot for healthcare I think we're, it's it's more medical care. And uh, that's where I'm going in this other direction where I really want people to assume responsibility for their own health and wellness as much as possible because otherwise you're kind of like a sitting duck, right? You're kind of surrendering whatever happens to you, happens to you. Of course, those things happen can happen anyway. I'm not saying no, but I think you have a better chance if you embrace – strategies to for your own health and wellness that's just two cents worth
2: it's it's a valuable two cents
1: (laughs) thanks well martin this has been absolutely fantastic i'm sure the listeners got great information great insights your experience is obviously vast and valuable so i can't thank you enough for joining me today on senior straight talk
2: you're most welcome thank you
1: So please join me on the next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And this is Phyllis Amon signing off for today. And please remember to like, click and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well and stay tuned.
0: Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.